are born like me, you can open the doors to a lot of sporting events, Paralympics, things like that. You can open a door to creating your own platform. But most of all, you open a door to show the empathy you have in you. Because if you've gone through so much adversity at that point, if you're similar to me, you've had a chance to build a whole boatload of empathy. And you can share that empathy, whether it's through storytelling, volunteering, creating adaptive organizations or whatever. There's so many ways to leverage your difficult situations, your challenges, or in this case, your disability. Hey everyone, welcome back to the E3 Collective Podcast. I'm really excited to have Scott Davidson on the show. Scott is the founder of Living Adaptive, which highlights amazing individuals that have achieved incredible things despite facing significant adversity. Scott himself was born with a congenital disability that significantly impacted his legs, but he did not let that define the rest of his life and instead uses humor, authenticity, and openness to guide his path as a father, adventurer, and now content creator. Scott, welcome to the show today, man. Michael, thanks for having me, man. I was pretty excited when I saw you pop up on my email. I'm like, this is, I'm all about this. What you're doing right now is super important to me, so thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So we, we love to start this show with just you um, really telling the audience about yourself growing up and we can just kind of go from there. Okay. So like to give people an idea, I'm based here in Las Vegas. I'm also a father and I'm a content creator, as you said, and I happen to be born with a disability. Like you said, mine happens to be club foot and that impacts not just the foot. It goes all the way up the chain. So I have deformities in my hip joint on the right side, deformities in my knee joints that cause constant dislocations. And then on my feet, I had the dreaded PMR postmedial release surgeries that they try never to do anymore. Th those are the people that had the people that had the PMRs ended up with um, significant other surgeries, including amputation. The first two people I met in person like me are amputees. So I've adapted to life as somebody with a disability and it's been it's had significant impacts, but at the same time, it's had a lot of like good things, too. And so I don't really wallow in what happened to me and why me. It's more like, why not me? And what can I do with it? Yeah. So, uh, you know, where, so where did you grow up? What part of the, of, of the U.S. Did, did you grow up in? Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So I'm really proud about being from Pittsburgh. You know, I spent zero through 22 there because I went to college there too. I did my undergrad at the University of Pittsburgh. It was super cold weather. And in a way that was like a blessing because I could hide my legs under jeans, you know, because I look very different in a pair of shorts. I have uh, six inch ankles as of today. You can wrap your hands around them. And I have a frame of I'm six foot three, 183 pounds as of today. So like those are really skinny legs. They look very odd on my frame, but I was able to hide it in that cold weather climate, man. So growing up, like when, when did you uh, really first realize, you know, or when did it first kind of uh, impact you that, hey, you know, I might be, you know, different than some of my peers? I don't know life as not different in a lot of ways because my mom tells a story that even as a child, like an infant and toddler, if I saw the color hospital green, scrubs green that you'd see in the 80s, I would cry. So I was used to a lot of appointments, a lot of treatments, and then a lot of pain. And so I knew that was an issue. And then at the same time, my parents kind of raised me with the ideas, yeah, you're different. And in a way that's kind of cool. And so I knew from there that kind of separated me from my peers, maybe in a unique way. 
And at points, it didn't feel cool, you know, but I did know that from the start. Yeah, and, you know, specifically once you start going to the upper elementary, transitioning to that middle school phase, that can certainly be a challenging time. Did, did you always have this uh, level of authenticity and, and humor that really helps uh, kind of guide you through that period of time where it was probably a little bit more challenging? Yeah, I would say that one thing I noticed it in elementary age is where people start pointing it out. Kids will point out and say, man, what's wrong with your legs? Look at how skinny your legs are. And I, when I was younger, I remember saying, you know, I was born with club foot. And then I changed it to, I wouldn't even say the word club foot. I was so embarrassed about it. I wouldn't say those words. I just didn't want anybody to know that I was different. And so I wore pants or if they asked, they said, you know, my, my body was malpositioned in the womb and I came out this way and I'd have some surgeries and stuff because I was treated so different for so long. And that authenticity that comes about talking about it didn't come till later in life. A lot of times it started at a young age and I lost it when the bullying started and it didn't come back until I was older. The humor side was always there. It was a way of deflecting, but then that's who I am too. I was runner up for class clown. I should have been class clown. I already won Hall Walker, but I should have been class clown. And so I guess we can't get two awards, but I was definitely somebody that joked a ton and I still do to this day. I tease a lot and I have fun. And that's just who I am. I don't know myself as anything but doing that. But that authentic side of talking about disability in my legs, wow, that took some time to get used to. And it was really difficult for me. So during that time of uh, bullying, which, I, you know, from being a former teacher and being in schools, un unfortunately, it, it's really sad. You, you do see it, um, you know, to this day. How did you... How did you work through that? Obviously, those must have been some pretty uh, challenging times, some, you know, darker times. How did you work through that, you know, individually? Or did your family help you work through that? Friends help you work through that? I was kind of on my own. What I will say is this. It got so bad at one point. I remember going to like a little kid scout camp, you know, and I was away for a week and I wore shorts. I dared to wear shorts and I got crushed. I mean, just constantly, constantly pointing out my legs, making fun of my legs, look at these legs. And that was going on prior to that too, um, in sports and school and stuff like that. People were making fun of the legs. But I remember that as one point where like, I remember going to the bathroom there and just crying and being like, I wish this would fucking stop. I wish that I wouldn't be pointed out like this. And I was devastated and I wanted to fake being sick and I didn't because I just wanted to get through it, but I also didn't want to acknowledge it was going on. It was horrible. I didn't want to keep going at that point. It was just an awful feeling. How I got through it was I kind of empowered myself. I kind of thought of like, I can't change what these people are going to say, what they're going to do, if they're going to point at me, or like even most recently take pictures of my legs at stores and stuff like that. I can't change that. That's just going to happen. But what I can do is activate my own response what I think is appropriate for it kind of learned that at, at a young age too is that maybe it wasn't healthy I acted out sometimes you know I I said some things that probably weren't appropriate back and you know at times even got into a little bit of fights over them and it wasn't a good idea you know and now at this age though I use it as an opportunity to acknowledge that we're different and teach others that how difficult my circumstances were at that time or the time that they're you know, maybe taking a picture to store something like that. I even said to the person, I said, you could just ask, you know, you could just ask because obviously 
it's different. I'm different enough that you feel like you need to take a picture here and share with yourself or others or whatever. You can just ask because there's probably something that went on there. And I take it upon myself to maybe educate in that area because we can't control what others are going to do to say. It's not my right to say if you think that I look weird or I'm disabled or something like that. It's not my place at the table to change your mind or even stop you from doing that. But I can control my response to you thinking and feeling that way. Yeah, and I love that that thought of empowering yourself. So I think that is a really challenging concept for a lot of people. Uh, they wait, they wait for someone to empower them, and even then, if it's a very one-sided um, task or one-sided goal, um, it, it doesn't always uh, manifest. And so this this concept of empowering yourself and really taking a step back and realizing. I, I can't, I can't change them. And I might be, you know, different, but we're all different and that's okay. And I'm going to own who I am and I can do a lot of great things being who I am. And I think that's a message really for everybody is being able to just separate out that unnecessary noise and really embracing who, who you are. Yeah. You know, as a kid, this sounds weird. I had the coolest teacher ever. And she had me reading books like all Edgar Allan Poe's works and then Phantom of the Opera and stuff like that. I fell in love with Phantom of the Opera. I must have been in third or fourth grade and it was my favorite book. And it was because Phantom was so different. You know, I'm not going to cut down a chandelier. I said to somebody else, but I'm like, I could totally relate to the shit that he's talking about being maimed, being different. You know, being born different is something we can't control. I always wanted to be in a military. I always wanted to be a football player. We have college genetics in our family to play, you know, at a high level for sports. I wanted all of that and I couldn't have all of that either. And so it's not something that we sought after, but like, how do we get to a position that maybe you wanted all of that and maybe you didn't ask for that, but you can still have a really good life. You can adapt and thrive despite these adversities. And that's what I like to focus on most. And before we, we started recording, one of the things that I, I love that you said too was, really leveraging um, your, who you are and, and your skill set to do amazing things. And, and I would, and we're going to get, get into that later on in the show, but, you know, it seems like that seems to be an underlying theme. You know, once you, once you empower yourself, then it was, okay, how do I leverage who I am and my skill set to do great things? You know, you can have a, a relative die, you can get cancer, um, if you live long enough, you're going to lose your mobility. So you're going to have a disability. You can have all of this happen because no matter what, we're mortal. Things are going to go bad. But when things go bad, are you going to sit? Are you going to wait for things to just fall apart? Are you going to do nothing? Or are you just going to, or are you going to figure out something else? Can you get out there and make something out of that bad? Whether you have one day to live or many years to live, can you make something out of it to help others and lift out other, lift up others? Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I just love that message. And, and so as you started to transition out of, uh, you know, high school into college, did that start to shift your perspective to just having that having that space from where you grew up or the same people into a typically, you know, universities are more open uh, environments where you can really em embrace who you are as a person. So did having that space really accelerate that transition into who you are today? You know, it didn't. In a lot of ways, it's, it's going to sound crazy. Um, I, I could still hide it there. 
Like the more I could hide it, I was in a cold weather environment, the more I didn't have to face it at times. I just limped. I walked funny, you know, until I had a pair of shorts on, I could just hide everything that was going on with me. They, they weren't at my doctor's appointments or anything. It's just like my friends that are amputees. If they want, they can put on a pair of jeans and get a nice prosthetic leg that looks real. The foot looks real on it. You can hide it and you can go, go about your day. So like in college, it wasn't really hitting there. I was still having problems. I had a, a lot of problems in college about accepting who I was, accepting how I was born, accepting how I looked. I didn't, you know, I couldn't even look in the mirror at my legs. I would only look at the upper body, see if the outfit's okay and go about my day because I hated it. If I saw a picture of my legs, I didn't want that picture. I deleted it. I hated my legs at different points in my life because I felt lesser than everybody. It took a while to get to a point where I was like, I was a father when it, I finally came back to where I was as a kid, where I had pride, you know, when I was younger and I had pride, I was born different before the bullying got heavy. It took until that point where I rekindled everything and brought it back home and said, yeah, you're different. And you know what? There's a lot of cool shit you can do with being born different. I get messages from kids almost every day or their parents saying, I'm born like you or I have something similar to you and I don't like my life. I don't want to keep going in this life anymore. And it's all the time. And now my message is like, you know what? You may not like it right now, but you're missing the bigger picture. If you are born like me, you can open the doors to a lot of sporting events, Paralympics, things like that. You can open a door to creating your own platform. But most of all, you open a door to show the empathy you have in you. Because if you've gone through so much adversity at that point, if you're similar to me, you've had a chance to build a whole boatload of empathy. And you can share that empathy, whether it's through storytelling, volunteering, creating adaptive organizations or whatever. There's so many ways to leverage your difficult situations, your challenges, or in this case, your disability. Yeah, and and you certainly have embraced that and lived that to the fullest. And what was there a, a pivotal moment that you know going into adulthood that you really were like, hey, I need to start living adaptive? What was what was that that pivotal moment for you? There is, in fact, you're a swim coach, and so I was at a summer swim meet and. I'm wearing a pair of shorts. It's humid. It's DC. And so we're, it's the DC Metro and it's so humid. And I'm at my kid's swim meet. She's a cute little swimmer, just a tiny kid. And I'm excited to be there. And each parent has the volunteer. And here I am with a stopwatch in my hands doing a time. And a kid first says to me, a kid comes up and goes, those are the skinniest legs I've ever seen. And then an adult comes up and says something. And I'm like, my God, here it goes again. But it's happened. It was happening before, but for whatever reason, it clicked there. It clicked that day and I went home and I didn't go out. I didn't go out in shorts again for a while. I don't know how long it was. Let's just say a month or something. And I looked for stories of people that had something similar going on. And there was no podcast. There was nothing really. And I'm like, man, I could really use something like this. And so that's where Living Adaptive came from is that moment was just finally too much. So like, that's how we arose from it. And I always, and they say, you know, I get asked this on occasion, especially if we're just having a coffee or somebody will be like, why'd you start living adaptive? And I'm like, it's because I found power in the stories. I needed the stories myself. Second, I wasn't adapting. At the time I was not adapting to my circumstances. I got some bad news about the prognosis about my ability to walk and other things. And I wasn't adapting. I was whining and worried and, and not sure what I was gonna do. And, and I wasn't moving forward. 
And so with these stories that meant so much in third, it was a passion project. And what I find with people that are very successful is they have their passion projects and they move towards it no matter how bad they felt. And Living Adaptive gave me all those points and it made me a better person, a more adaptive person. Yeah, and the power of stories is, well, you, you've seen it through the ages. I mean, it's, it's really our primary form of passing down information, passing down life lessons for, you know, generations since mankind started. Um, and so there's a, there's a lot of power in stories. And I think it can be a very uh, evolutionary experience for the content creator too. I mean, the, the people I've talked to myself, Self, um, I just have learned so much and you know you just want to when you walk away you just want to try the next thing that they talked about or open up the next door for somebody and but it, it, it works the other, the other way too you might have a thousand people listen to your episode and then all of a sudden you know there might be three four ten twenty people who all of a sudden feel empowered and that's really what this is all about. Yeah, it really is like, uh, that's the one thing is the feedback, the community. What I found was a community, whether you had a disability or not, you just supported it or you ran a nonprofit or something like that. We came together. We're coming together more so than ever before. Maybe it's because social media is available. Maybe we're more understanding, more empathetic to the situation of, a, of each person. I don't know what it is, but the community, exactly what it is, but the community's gotten stronger and sharing these stories has done, I think a lot for it in general. Yeah. And, you know, if, if you look at all the interviews you've done and all the, the different projects you've done with Living Adaptive, what are some of the common threads that you have learned or that you want to share with the audience? This is a common qu question that I ask myself all the time, because I can sit across somebody like Rustin Hughes and, you know, he's lost his leg due to cancer. Actually, his was clotting, I think, but he lost his wife due to cancer. And he's had all this going down on him and he's just like his whole world is falling apart. Yet he finds a way to be so successful to make so many differences. And then we could jump to so many others that I've interviewed. And the commonality seems to be that like while the storm is going around them, they still have a mission. In my case, it'd be to build out living adaptive to empower the adaptive tribe. That's my mission. You know, and in their cases, it's to do something similar, whether for Russ and, Hugh, Russ and Hughes, he wanted to build, you know, one of the best networks of adaptive jujitsu and mixed martial arts that exist. And then at the same time, build out the nonprofit sector, be bold. You know, he had a mission and that goes for almost every person I've talked to is that one, they find something they really want. And two, no matter how bad it gets, they keep moving towards it. So for instance, if you want to be the best pro surfer, on earth and you feel depressed that day you still get up and you still go through the motions no matter how bad you feel to get towards being the best pro surfer and that includes whether you're creating content or not it doesn't have to be sports one thing is that i get tied up a lot with the uh, athletic side i see it more so with the artists the comedians like ryan Neemiller, for instance that guy picks you know he wanted to be an entertainer he's born with limb differences that make it next to impossible to do some of the things he picks. And he picks, he wants to be a wrestler. And the next thing he picks is theater. Everybody's staring at his arms, you know, everybody's staring at his differences. And he chooses something that is so tough to walk through for so many people that have limb differences. He chooses that and he becomes an entertainer. 
and he weathers it no matter how bad it got. And so that's what I see is the common trend. Yeah. And when, when you, you know, started this and the evolution until now, you know, where, where do you want to keep, keep going with this? What's, you know, what's the, what are some of the big projects, the big goals for living adaptive? We're going to continue to tell stories. So stories will be first and foremost, one of the biggest, most centralized things we do. It's just a format is going to change over time. We've evolved from an audio only show to a video and audio show. We've opened up social media. I couldn't even, I didn't even acknowledge social media existed really for the first two years of living adaptive. And then also we're going to go towards the advocacy side. We spent a lot of time looking at athletes, for instance, in the first year or two. Um, we're going to spread that now. We're going to start looking at every aspect of the disability community from artists to advocates in terms of like disability advocacy, to caregivers, to coaches, to everything, because like we need to spread it. We've captured so many remarkable stories, but we need to spread it out even further. And so that's what I think you'll see more out of living adaptive in general. And then myself, I'll just keep pushing it. You know, I'm every bit of 40, but I'll still try to do very challenging things despite what's going on and we'll raise awareness of how it's possible. Yeah, and one of the things that we always talk about at E3 is uh, opportunity. And that, that's a very big word that we always use. And we always try to link all of our projects back to is just open up opportunities. And that's really, you know, everything that, that you're doing, whether it's through sharing stories or, you know, connecting people or sharing content or really just being vulnerable. You're creating opportunities for, you know, different populations of people, you know, different individuals, uh, you know, and, and I love that you, you talked about, you know, parents, caregivers, because that's, that's uh, a big portion of our audience, too, is um, really just giving a place for parents or caregivers to either get resources or talk with someone and really understand that, you know what, it's, it's okay to go through tough moments because this is this isn't easy always um it, but like you said you just keep weathering the storm you have a mission you have a vision and you just keep waking up every day moving towards that no matter how hard it gets if i could speak to the caregivers especially the parents right now is that a lot of times parents take this harder than the actual child themselves and so this gets me in trouble a lot is that I have this movement called Reckless Adaptive where it's like, don't be afraid to get hurt again. Be a little reckless, go out there and try. You may get hurt, but go out there and try. And a lot of parents say, don't do that. And what I find is oftentimes parents could be the most disabling factor in that kid's life, despite the kid maybe being an amputee or having club foot like me or whatever disability it is, that the parents could be the most disabling factor, not letting that kid grow. But then also the parents are beating themselves up. They're worried, is it the weed I smoked, you know, that caused my kid to have a congenital birth defect? It's not. Is it whatever environment, the vaccine or whatever? Whatever it was, it doesn't matter. Now, your kid has a disability and you want that kid to grow and do fun things and find happiness and peace and empowerment during that process. So don't keep going back at hit, looking at history. Look at the present moment, how you, how you can empower your kid and how your kid can feel empowered in general, empowering themselves and focus on that present moment and going forward. Because like we, we can spend so much time in the past and it's going to do no good. Also for our platform for living adaptive, I get asked 
what's one of the most powerful interviews or the most powerful interview? And I always think back to Diana Doyle. Diana watched her, her daughter have a ailment that was similar to kind of Lou Gehrig's. And the child's body shut down and eventually her child did die. And she provided that caregiver perspective of what it was. And that interview fundamentally changed every ounce of me. Hearing what the caregiver goes through is often worse than you know what the child is going through sometimes it feels like because the caregiver is just crushing themselves and it's such a difficult thing to witness or hear and so there needs to be more support two interviews back i interviewed the fouts family the fouts family their son was 12 years old racing his brother got hit by a car and had a traumatic brain injury and he has very little movement he's not verbal much you know not as verbal as as you'd like, he's gone through some significant surgeries, it looks like, and lots of challenges. He's 21 years old now. And the Fouts family have managed to make an amazing life for their son, Elisha, and for their entire family by building a platform, by raising awareness of what their everyday life is like, and by telling you how you can be you know, a very good caregiver. And also at the same time, for people that aren't caregivers outside of the community, how you can show love, respect, and compassion to those that are going through some tough things. So you can do a lot of things and create your own platforms if you are a caregiver, a parent out there. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, that's one of the things too that is just, um, is, is challenging because caregivers don't, they don't want to open up and be vulnerable because they they already feel like, they have, you know, they might have failed or they're not doing a good job, which neither of which are true at all, but there's that feeling there. And then if they open up and ask for help or they say, Hey, I'm struggling, I don't know what I'm doing, um, that, you know, just adds that layer of, of uh, emotion. So, how, so, you know, what are the best ways for, you know, community members or their, their tribe of people, or even, you know, close family or friends, how, you know, what are the best ways to open up those conversations? You know what? Um, I think of this, uh, I'm not going to name the person or the organization, but a lot of people can link it together. And, um, to answer your question, I'm first going to give an example. So this person, his child was born with a significant disability, physical disability. And, they're traveling to events. He empowered his kid to get involved in the athletics, you know, and his classifications. And while they were out traveling, it was halfway across the U.S. And he's like, man, I could build this at home. And he goes on to build one of the largest adaptive sporting organizations in the world. And that conversation happened with himself. It was internal. He said, how can I make it easier for my son to succeed and to be empowered and that came internally. So how do conversations often start inward? I find that the inward conversation is almost more important than anything else. Like, what can I do for my child? And oftentimes we have action and, and inaction. And we see a lot of caregiving parents just feeling overwhelmed with the idea of like, I can't build an adaptive organization. Well, I say you sure as fuck can. And like I say, you can do all of that. I think you can do everything above what that person I was talking about did and I think you can do a lot of amazing things just harness that energy where you're beating yourself up and feeling bad and harness it to do something good with it and from there you can open up the dialogue to what you want to do and figure out where your place is at the table so you can have something that you feel passionate about and at the same time helping your kid 
Yeah. And I think too, one of the things I, I keep coming back to when I read a lot of your content or have been listening to your shows, watching your shows, um, and, and even just, you know, b- before we started recording, um, you know, humor might've originally been a way to deflect some of the pain, deflect some of the bullying, that kind of stuff. But there is something really powerful about humor and one, the healing process, um, you know, processing emotions, but just embracing life and enjoying life. Um, so my, my co-founder, um, she, she's a, a mother, um, has her twin daughters have, have autism and, um, she very much takes a very humorous, authentic, uh, vulnerable approach to talking about their, their family. And, uh, we actually are pretty soon going to be coming out with a new kind of, uh, series. It's it's called team shit show. Um, and just, (laughs) um, and just really taking a, uh, you know, a very, uh, humorous approach where, you know what, sometimes shit does just happen and you just have to laugh. You either laugh or cry. But from, you know, from your perspective and, you know, someone who definitely has used humor a lot, what, what is it about humor that is so powerful? You take the punch out of the adversity. For me, I have the Skip's Leg Day shirt. I haven't, like, I've tried to trademark it, sort of, but I have Skip's Leg Day. Because, like, how much more bite can you take out of it when people are pointing out your difference? Like, they're less aware of, like, how you walk at times than more of how you look physically different than saying, hey, man, I skip leg day all the time. You take so much bite out of it. Um, and, and that also pushes back kind of at the bullying and things like that. For me, humor is just across the board. We have pimp limp chats. You know, one of my buddy has that, my buddy has that, you know, there's a lot of shows you'll find me, um, rolling around with a lot of comedians in terms of like what I do for fun and things like that outside of this. And I think that humor has an extremely strong place at the table when you're talking about disability, cause it's a fucked up situation. Like if you're looking at like how life is, we're on a, we're on an elevator and ding, I come out and I've got shit legs. My first tattoo is going to be returned to sender on them because these bad boys are messed up. Like that is life. And, and like, and, and it's, it's odd. It's crazy. It's wild. There's no answer for why I'm the way I am. And there's no answer for why a lot of my friends are the way they are. It just happens. And it's almost funny at times that it just happened. Like in terms of me, it's almost funny. And so like, I don't know. I just find, I joke a lot. If you see my live sessions or interviews, I joke all the time. Sometimes like I have to pull back because the subject matter is so serious, but other times it's just full force. And I think it's helpful. And I think people need laughter all the time. You know, I think that people do need that. Especially during, uh, you know, our, our current, um, you know, time of, of COVID and everything else going on, um, you know, and, and that was certainly one of our motivations for starting uh, kind of a new series in conjunction with this, with our uh, team, Team Shit Show series, um, just because, you know, as she talks about, you know, with, with her daughters or just being a parent in general, um, I have two sets of twins and they're all under Damn. three. Um, so, I mean, honestly, <laughs> shit goes sideways quite a bit. So, especially the past couple weeks when we've been, um, our, our daycare has been closed. So, um, yeah, it's been trying, trying to work from home while, uh, having four kids <laughs> with you is, is, uh, is not always easy, but you know, it's one of those things where, um, you know, one humor helps me get through it, but two, it really opens up conversations. Um, it, it, it lets 
people know that, hey, it's okay. And you're not the only one that's going through this. Uh, you're not the one that feels like this. And it's okay to feel like this. And um, sometimes, you know, like you said, just laughing about it just helps helps the, the healing process too. You know, the people that are the most scathing about the way I look are people from the disability community. And I love it. It sounds odd, but like they will trash, send me a trash talk text message or a meme or something. And behind the scenes, a lot of us are vicious to each other. What people would find vicious, but we find it funny. You know what I mean? Like we find it funny. I think a, a lot of times it deals with intent. You know, a lot of things deal with intent. And so there, I get you on the parent side though. I have three kids and uh, all three of them could give a shit about what I do. You know what I mean? I remember when I uh, got second place in a Spartan race last year and they're like, does that mean we can go home now? They're like, they could give a shit about any platform I do. Uh, there's a press release recently I was really proud about with the Range of Motion Project. I'm like, cool, they put me up near the top, you know, as one of the valued adaptive players in the community. And my kid's like, can you leave my room? Like when I showed her. So like, it's so funny to see. I get you as being a parent. Um, it's, it's keep you tough. honest. <laughs> yeah, it keeps you honest. You're like, I, I definitely know when I'm in check. Like, I'll be like, oh, wow, check out all these downloads. And my kid's like, that's not that much. Like that's not, all the time she's like that my oldest one trash talks to me all the time and then when i switched to tiktok um i started doing some tiktok videos and just like announcing like episodes and things like that just to see if there's more audience there and over there like when i put a little bit of effort in and production you know i get some decent hits here and there she gets like a million and a half doing nothing and so like <laughs> here i am putting all this effort into it. it's so like being a parent and this content creation realm is kind of tough because like kids live in that, especially that high school age and college age, they live in this area. So they see what I'm doing and they judge it all the time and they're not impressed. Yeah. <laughs> well, they, uh, yeah, they, they definitely can give you some, some good feedback. <laughs> yeah. A hundred percent. And so it's, it's been a, it's been a fun run. That's one thing though. Like, like what I love now is that my kids are aware of that, I've changed like a bad situation into a good situation for me. One that I wished I wasn't born with one that I cried about a lot and worried about all the time. And, and then I changed it into something that I'm really proud about. And one thing I get asked almost all the time behind the scenes from people that are born different or people, parents that are, you have kids like me, they say, would you change this? And a lot of people have heard this and they see it in social media highlights, but I think it's important to say here, that I got to a place where if I could take away all the bullying, where I cried in that bathroom at that summer camp, wishing the whole world would go blank for that day. And, you know, growing up, I'd hide my legs and I was so embarrassed of myself and felt inadequate that I only related to one book that, you know, was about the physical oddities of the main character. And if I could change all of that, if I could go back and change any of this, I wouldn't change a, a goddamn thing. I wouldn't change anything at all. Because like what it's done for me is it's, it's built so much empathy in me for others, but it's also created a place for me to have a community. I can relate to others that are born different. And these are some of my closest friends. They're family to me now. And it's done so much for myself and my well-being. And it's also given me so much great stuff to work on. So like, yeah, maybe things will hit the fan as time gets on and it's going to get worse, which they say it will. But I'm okay with that. I've adjusted to that idea because there's nothing you and I can do. If you live long enough, we will hit that wall, but we can at least find some fun right now in the present moment. 
Scott, I love what you're doing. I love everything that you stand for. Uh, and I, and I love this community. If you are, are listening and you're hesitant to reach out to anyone in this uh, special needs community, adaptive community, disability community, uh, don't, don't hesitate. There are, everyone wants to help each other. This is an amazing network of people. And Scott, you're doing great things. Thank you so much again for being on the show. And, you know, I I would love to continue to find ways to collaborate together. Absolutely. Thank you. We'll introduce you off to our audience too and figure out how we can build this community, you know, better, bigger and better. So much love to everybody out there.